Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Andreas Meyer-Lindenberg. I am a psychiatrist working at the Central Institute of Mental Health in Mannheim in Germany. I am the editor of ECNP's journal, European Neuropsychopharmacology, and in that position I was on the college's board. And I would like to talk to you today about a topic that's come to the fore in the context of the COVID pandemic, and that is the question of social isolation, its impact on mental health, and what we can do to mitigate it. The pandemic has disrupted our daily routines and also disrupted our social structure. And for most of us, most countries, that means that we have been spending a lot more time indoors and a lot less time meeting people than we usually would have. And that can have various impacts on mental health. So for example, if you are in a small flat, if you are crowded, if you are with your kids who are usually at school, you need to take care of them, or even maybe with an abusive spouse, you'll have a lot of mental health issues from that. In that context, what I would like to talk about today is the opposite. What happens if you are confined to your flat and there's no one there, you are alone, you feel lonely. And that's actually quite likely because data show that living alone has become very, very common. It was less than 10% even in the 60s. And now in many cities, for example, in Stockholm, the majority of people live alone. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You may actually like to be alone. It's called solitude. But for many, in this situation especially, we're not having the social interactions we want to. And that's called social isolation, the feeling of unwanted lack of social contact. If you look at the statistics, you actually see that in that definition, about a third of all Americans, about a quarter of all Britons and similar numbers you can get in most European countries and also China, do feel lonely. And loneliness has serious impacts on mental health. You can see that lonely people have a much higher risk to be depressed, to die of suicide, and even to be demented, and physical health. Two big meta-analysis, both of which showed that if you are lonely, your risk of dying from any cause is about a quarter higher, is about 25% higher. And conversely, if you have a very big social network, your risk of dying is more than 50% less than if you don't have that. Our social structure has has a big impact on our well-being. And in social neuroscience, we understand increasingly how that works. And the way this works is that there is an area of the social brain called the cingulate cortex, which mediates the way we deal with negative effects and also deals with things like our stress response that's tightly linked to the size of our social network. The bigger our social networks are, the physically bigger that brain area is. And that leads to, in the context of social isolation or control, to, we would have to say, to a situation of chronic stress. So we've come to learn that being socially isolated for humans, which are social creatures, is a form of chronic stress. And we've come to understand that if you're chronically stressed through the hormonal and immune responses, for example, that that entails, you are at higher risk for mental and for physical illness, including things such as cardiovascular disorder, for example, and mental health consequences. So what can you do about a social isolation, can we take some pointers from neuroscience and then 
fact, we can. There's a bunch of things that we can do. We know that to deal with a stress response, it's important that you feel in charge. A similar stress is much worse if you feel you're helpless, you can't do anything about it, than if you feel you have some degree of control about it. And we can regain that feeling of agency in social isolation, for example, by maintaining our usual routines, by choosing who to interact with or even be proactive and pro-social, for example, do some shopping for an elderly neighbor, things like that. And we should keep on communicating. Research has shown that while physical contact is the best kind of contact that you can have to maintain social contact, being virtually connected through a video chat like we're doing now, or even through email or through chat, is actually much better than nothing and can form a real social connection. So you should do that, do it actively in the context of this pandemic. And if you can, use multiple channels. So we know that the more immersive it is, if you can see your mother or your elderly neighbor, if you can do a video chat, that is something that you should do and you should maintain balanced lifestyles in general. So those were some ideas around the neuroscience community, how you can maintain a healthy social brain if you were in the context of the pandemic. This will not allow us to mitigate all effects of social isolation, but maybe it gives you some ideas for yourself, but also for your patients, because we know that the patients with especially serious mental illness are often among the most impacted by such as that. Thank you very much.